Pastor John, it's good to be with you here again today. We're in the third week of our series on Sagemont's core values. But before we get into the third core value today, we've got something really important I need to talk to you about. Uh, this week is opening week of dove season. So how the dove looking at your ranch this year? <laughs> they, lots of them. And a more important question is, are you going to invite me out to your ranch to shoot some of them? That's the real question. Well, I'm not sure. Uh, I've only seen you catch quail. That's right. I've That's not right. seen you shoot them, but I assume that, that you've got the experience to be safe with the, with the shotgun. I, I tell you what, if I catch another one, I'm ready to go to heaven. That's it. I'll yeah. be done. Well, we've spent the last couple of weeks sort of walking through um, the first two uh, values of the church, which are loving God and that each individual matters. This third one is one that's really important to my heart. I wouldn't have come to Sagemont if this one wasn't a value for you guys, and so it meant a lot to me when I saw it. And that's the authority of Scripture. And so, Pastor, talk to us. What do you mean when you say the authority of Scripture? Most of us have heard this line, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Yep. I personally believe if God says it, that settles it, doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. It's, it's His Word. Amen. But whether we live by His Word, that's where we come in. If God says it and I take that belief into my life, then the good things happen. God's Word is God's Word. Amen. And it is without error. It is powerful, sharper than the two-edged sword, and it is applicable. It is relevant. There's never been a generation nor a person that ever studied the Word of God that said, that doesn't apply to me. Most of us think, he wrote that just for me. You know, that's interesting that you just said that, because one of the things I've said for years, I've been in ministry for 25 years, and one of, the, one of the things I've always said when teaching on the authority of God's Word is that the Bible is the most relevant book that's ever been written, because it's the only book that's ever been written that was relevant to every generation. And so real quickly, talk about for us, like how did... How, how did that impact your ministry? You were in the ministry for how many years, Pastor? Sixty. Sixty years you were in full-time vocational ministry. Talk just a little bit about how that sort of shaped the way you viewed and, and, and did ministry for those 60 years. Well, the longer I live, the, the clearer the Bible comes, becomes to me in my everyday life. Don't ever make anything possible in your life unless you're willing for it to happen. Amen. Real quickly, I can tell you that when the announcement has come that, that Pastor Morgan is going to be with the Lord, it wasn't on a motorcycle, mm. you know, because <laughs> I'm not getting on a motorcycle. Amen, me either. And, and, it, and, and I won't be skydiving. Now, Brother Chuck skydived, you know, and he, he almost hit the ground too. <laughs> but anyway, I'm not, I'm not going to jump out of an airplane when the motors are going. I've been in two plane crashes, but the motors were running. I, wasn't, I never had the thought I'm going to jump out of this thing. But the point is the relevance of God wanting to take His Word and make it that lamp and that light that we won't sin against Him. And hide it in our hearts. You know, hide Pastor, it. I want to publicly honor you and say thank you for something. And I don't know if you've ever been thanked for this, but it was your generation that won the battle of the inerrancy of Scripture in the Southern Baptist Convention. And my generation believes, and I personally believe, that the Word of God is true, and every word of it is true, because you won that battle. So thank you so much for that, Pastor. Thank you, and thank you for being faithful.
Amen. Oh, it's good to be with you guys today. Y'all sound good, 11 o'clock. Yeah, we were getting there as a church. All right, well, open up your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 1, verse 1. And I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm warning you, I may have to take this jacket off at some point. I'm a little warm. Is that all right? We're the contemporary service, right? I can get away with that? Nobody's going to email me? I guess not. So... Um, we're continuing our series on the core values here at Sagemont, and we're at our third one where we're looking at the authority of Scripture. Now, let me guys, let me warn you, uh, a lot of Scripture today, um, good amount of sort of theological background today before we really get to the heart of what I'm talking about. So if you're here and you have ADD, I need you to hang with me towards the end, um, because this is a critical topic uh, for believers especially for you to understand and know why we believe that the Word of God has authority in our lives. Now, for those of you that are new to church, or maybe you're not even a believer that's here today, when I say the authority of the Scripture, or I say the authority of, of the Word, I'm talking about the Bible. I'm talking about the Bible, which is, we believe, the Word of God. Now, I want to I take a minute this morning, and I want to talk about what I mean that the Bible is God's Word. What does it mean? that the book that I hold in my hands is the Word of God. Well, it has everything to do with how God revealed Himself to man and how the Lord spoke to man. Um, so He's God. We're His creation. How did He reveal Himself to us? Well, in the Old Testament, um, God would speak directly to the prophets. And so you had Moses, you had Jeremiah, you had Isaiah. And God would speak to them directly. And they'd either write it down or they'd come to the people uh, of the Lord and say, thus says the Lord. Here's what the Lord just said. And that's how the Lord revealed himself and spoke to us in the Old Testament. Now, at the beginning of the New Testament, how did God reveal himself? How did he speak to us? He spoke to, uh, to us through his son, through Jesus. God came in the flesh and came to this planet. We know that Jesus is fully God and he is also fully man. And so when Jesus spoke, we know we're hearing from God, okay? Let me read this to you. John chapter 1, verse 1. This is the disciple John. He's speaking about Jesus. And he says, in the beginning was the Word. And he's speaking about Christ, and he calls him the Word. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so John's speaking about Jesus. He calls him the Word. And he says he was in the beginning with God, but he wasn't just in the beginning, but he was God. And so again, when Jesus Christ was speaking, we know that we are hearing from the Lord. So in the Old Testament, God revealed himself and spoke through the prophets. In the New Testament, in the beginning, he spoke through his son, Jesus. Now, after Jesus was uh, crucified, buried, and resurrected, he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father. And then at the day of Pentecost, the Lord sent his Holy Spirit to us, and in the moment of Pentecost, um, the church was born. And so from that day until this day, we are in what's called the church age. Now, how, does God, how, how did God reveal himself to us to the rest of the New Testament in the church age? How does God speak to us? Well, the Scripture's clear that the Lord speaks through his Holy Spirit to human authors, and they wrote it down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and that's where we got the Bible, okay? So this book here that we call the Bible, this book that I hold in my hands is different than every other book that's ever been written because it is literally the Word of God. 
Now let's talk for a second about um, how Jesus viewed the word and how important it was for you and for me. Don't turn there, just listen. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. This is Jesus speaking. He's talking about the scripture. It says, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so Jesus is teaching us here. He's actually speaking to Satan there. And he said, look, our lives are not sustained simply by food. But our lives are to be lived and to be driven and be sustained by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So when we talk about the, one of our core values here at this church as being the authority of Scripture, it's very simple. What we're saying is that the Scripture, the Bible, God's Word, has authority in our lives. That we're supposed to do what it says to do. That we need to live the way that it says to live. That we submit to its directives and to its principles. Why? Because they're not the words of men. But it's the word of the Lord. Because it's the word of the Lord, it has authority over us. Now, what I want to do with a, a big portion of the sermon here today is I want to talk about, um, I'm going to give three reasons why we believe that this is God's word. It's, it's a it's a book that was written over the course of thousands of years. Why is it that we believe that this actually is God's Word? So I'm going to give you three reasons today if you're taking notes. And um, here's the first reason. I believe that the Bible is God's Word and it has authority in our lives. Number one, we believe the Bible's claim to be God's Word. We believe the Bible's claim to be God's Word because the Bible says it's God's Word. Now, hang with me here. To a lost world, that is a dumb argument. That's a dumb argument that we believe this is the Word of God because the Word of God says it's the Word of God. They think that's a dumb argument, but it's actually a critical argument, especially for believers to understand. Let me go to the Word of God and, and show you how it says it's the Word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, let me just read this to you. This is Paul. He's writing to Timothy. Watch what he says. He says, all Scripture, all Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so what the Scripture is claiming about itself is that every single word of it was breathed out, or it's a word that means spoken out by the Lord. Okay, now 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 21, listen to, listen to how Peter describes the writing of Scripture. Peter said, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so Peter's writing in 2 Peter, he says, look, there's not a prophecy in this book that ever came about because of the will of men. But every single prophecy, everything that was spoken out, it came from the Lord. And so the Scripture is absolutely 100% convinced that these words are the Word of God. And that's one of the primary reasons we believe it, because the Scripture says it. Now, you may be sitting here thinking, well, Matt, that's a, kind of a circular argument. You know, how in the world are we supposed to believe that God's Word is God's Word? Because it says it's God's Word. Well, I'm going to give you two quick reasons why we should trust the Word of God about its own authority. Here's the first one. As I read this book, 
I find out that Moses believed that the Scripture was from the Lord. I found out that David, King David, he believed that the Word of God was directly from the Lord. You, you, you find out that all the apostles, all the prophets, all the, the men and the disciples in the New Testament, they believed that this book I hold in my hands was from, directly from the Lord. And then you find out that Jesus believed that this was God's Word. And so as I'm sitting there thinking about it, I'm thinking, you know what? If Jesus believed this is God's Word, I'm going to believe it's God's Word. I'm sticking with Jesus. I don't know about you, but if He believed it, I believed it. And now here's the second thing. And I want you to listen really carefully. The Bible says it's God's Word. And the question then becomes, what authority do we we have? What higher authority, rather, do we have to believe the validity of Scripture than the Scripture itself? Is there a higher authority that we can go to that validates the Bible for us, that's more important, more legitimate than the Scripture itself? I mean, if you think about it, if we say that history has to prove the Bible's authority, then what we're saying is that history has a higher authority than the Bible. If we think that human logic has to prove the Bible's validity and authority, then what we're saying is that human logic is a higher authority than the Scripture. And here's the thing, guys, make no mistake. The Bible is incredibly historically accurate. And every year that we go along, the Bible is being proved more and more and more historically accurate. On top of that, church, the, this book that I hold in my hands is incredibly internally consistent. And when you think about that, it's pretty impressive. What do I mean by that? That it's internally consistent. Well, here's the thing to remember. The Bible was written before there was the internet. It was written before there were telephones. It was written before there was email or television. And the way that us today hear communication and receive information, none of that existed. The way that people typically communicate across continents, none of that existed. And I want you to think about this. This book I hold in my hands, 66 authors, 66 different men wrote this book, and they wrote that book, excuse me, I was wrong, 66 different books of the Bible, it was written by dozens of authors, and on top of that, it was written over several continents, several different continents, 66 books, multiple authors, and it was written over the course of thousands of years, and yet when you read it, It is remarkably consistent throughout the whole message. All these different authors on 66 different books over multiple continents over thousands of years, they all say the exact same thing about God. It's miraculous in its internal consistency. If that were not enough, you think about the the prophecies. There's 2,500 different prophecies, prophecies about the future in the Bible. And as of today that we're aware of, 2,000 of them have been completely and accurately and totally fulfilled. But none of those reasons, none of those reasons are like the primary reason we believe the Scripture to be the Word of God. The reason we believe this to be God's Word is because God's Word says it's God's Word, and what higher authority can we appeal to? Can somebody say amen? There's a couple of us that believe it. It's the highest story we can appeal to. Now, here's the second reason. And hang with me on this one. 
Reason number two, that we're convinced of the Bible's claim to be God's Word. We're convinced of the Bible's claim to be God's Word as we read the Bible. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, listen. One of the ultimate convictions that we have that we're reading the Holy Spirit-inspired actual words of God is as we read it, the Holy Spirit gives us an inner assurance and an inner conviction that we're actually hearing from the Lord. Now, uh, Jesus himself talked about this. Um, And it was in, matter of fact, let's turn there. John chapter 10, verse 25. John 10, 25. Jesus was near the temple, and there was a group of Jewish folks that came up to him, scribes and Pharisees, and they asked him a question, or rather really gave him a command. They said, Jesus, if you're the Messiah, we want you to come right out and just tell us. Quit talking in parables, quit quit preaching sermons. If you're who you say you are, just tell us straight up, tell us plainly. And what Jesus said to him was fascinating. In John 10, 25, it says, Jesus answered them and said, I told you. He said, I told you. And you do not believe me. He said, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. And in verse 26, he says, I told you, you don't believe me. In verse 26, he tells them why they didn't believe. Verse 26, Jesus said, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. And in verse 27, watch what he says. This is key. 27, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. Jesus said, my sheep are going to hear my voice. They're going to know it's me, and they're going to follow me. And so what Jesus said is that if you're not one of his sheep, when he speaks, it's not going to mean anything to you. Scripture in, in 1 Peter talks about that when lost folks hear the Word of God, they think it's folly. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says the gospel is foolishness. It's the word moranos. We get the, our word moronic to those who are perishing. And so, he says, if you're not one of my sheep, when you hear my voice, when you hear the Scripture, you're just going to think it's dumb. But then Jesus says, if you are one of my sheep... When I speak, Jesus said, you're going to hear my voice. You're going to recognize my voice. And so listen, guys, a sheep always recognizes the voice of his shepherd. Always. And so one of the ways that we know that the word of God is true is because when we read it or we hear it, we are internally and supernaturally convinced we are hearing from our shepherd. And we hear from our shepherd because we are his sheep. Let me give you an example, a couple of examples real quick of this, what I'm talking about. Um, One of the pastors at my previous church, his name was Kevin. And Kevin is one of the most brilliant men I've ever met in my life. He's not just smart, he's genius level smart. And when he was a, a senior in high school, he was accepted into Harvard, he was accepted into Yale, he was accepted into Stanford, and he was accepted into Texas A&M, which is the best of those four. And, um, and at, at, at that point, he was not a believer, 
And he told me, he said, I didn't have a good relationship with my dad, and my dad really wanted me to go to Harvard or Yale, so to make him mad, I went to A&M. And so he goes to A&M, and his freshman year, he considered himself an atheist. So he wasn't an agnostic. He was convinced that God wasn't real. And what he would do is he would go around A&M, and he would get in arguments with Christians and try to argue them down about why the Bible wasn't true. And he would actually study the Word of God in order to be prepared to argue with these believers. And he told me, he said, Matt, when I would read the Bible up to this point, I just thought it was dumb. I thought it was the dumbest thing I've heard in my life. Then a friend of his one day that was a believer came up, and Kevin was arguing with him about the Scripture. And finally, his buddy just said, look, stop. And his friend shared the gospel with Kevin. Quit arguing with him and just shared the gospel of Jesus, told him about the cross, told him about the resurrection. Kevin said he went home, and he couldn't shake it. He couldn't stop thinking about it. He said something was happening. I just couldn't shake. I couldn't leave it alone. couldn't go to sleep. Finally, he said he got up from his bed, and for the first time in his life, he prayed. And this is what Kevin prayed. Kevin told me, he said, Matt, I prayed this. I prayed, Lord, if you're real, When I read the Bible next, I want you to show me that it's true. That's an interesting thing to pray. He'd never believed it. He couldn't shake the gospel. So he says, all right, God, I'm about to open up this Bible. If you're really who you say you are, if you're real, if there's God in heaven, when I start reading it, I I, I want you to show me that it's true. Kevin said he picked up the Bible. He opened it up to the book of Matthew. And he said, Matt... When I started reading it, something had changed. He said, my whole life, I thought it was the dumbest thing I'd ever read in my life. He said, all of a sudden, as I was reading it, I believed it. And I read more, and I read more. And he said, that night I read from Matthew to Revelation. And he said, Matt, everything inside of me was screaming out, this is true. He said, I got on my knees on the floor and I gave my life to Jesus. Today, he's a, yeah, that's, that's worth clapping about. Today, he's a pastor. You think, what happened? He didn't accept Christ in the moment when his friend shared the gospel with him. It happened later that night. But what happened? God, if you're real, let me see that the scripture is true. He opens up the Bible, and he heard the voice of the Lord. When the Bible was opened and he's reading it, the Holy Spirit goes to work in his life and he hears the voice of his Savior. In many ways, that is my story. That's my story. Guys, ever since I was a little boy, up until right now, whenever I read the Bible or I hear the gospel, everything inside of me screams out, that's true. I can't get away from it. I can't get away from it. I read it, I hear it preached, and I'm like, it's true. I can't tell you how many times that I've been sitting in in a church somewhere listening to really good preaching, and it's just messing me up. And I sit there and I think to myself, man, if I wasn't a Christian, I would have just become a Christian right then. Because I hear the gospel and I hear the voice of the Lord in it. And listen, I've tried to run from Jesus. I've tried. A couple times I've tried really hard. But every time I try to run from the Lord, I always come back. And the reason I always come back, because he says, my sheep are going to hear my voice, and they're going to follow me. And so I start running, and I eventually come back to the place that Peter came back to when Jesus said, Peter, are you going to leave me? And Peter said, where am I going to go? 
because you alone have the words of life. You alone have the words of life. So why does that happen to me? Why did that happen to Kevin? Or does it happen to me every single time? And the answer is because Jesus said, my sheep are going to hear my voice. And they're going to follow me. So reason number three. Reason number three. We are convinced of the Bible's claim to be God's word because it's living and it's active. We're convinced of the Bible's claim to be God's word because it's a living and it's an active book. Some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been reading the Bible a long time and you're just like, amen, yes it is. No explanation needed. But let me explain what I mean. Don't turn there, just listen. Hebrews 4.12, famous verse. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and it's active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Sage Mott, what distinguishes this book from every book in the entire world, in the history of the world, is it's a living book. Now, what do I mean by that, that it's a living book? Well, I want to tell you about a non-living book. This is my second favorite book in all the Bibles, a book called Lonesome Dove. Now, guys, I want you to raise your hand. Just own it if you've never read Lonesome Dove. Real quick, I just want to see. All right, I'm praying for y'all. All right, so... Lonesome Dove is my favorite book outside the Bible. If I were on a deserted island, I would, um, I would take the Bible and I'd take Lonesome Dove. It's a great book. It's a Western, best, re- best Western ever written. And I've read it five or six times in my life, maybe seven. I don't remember. I've read it a lot. And here's the thing I noticed is that every time I read it, I really enjoy it. It's good. It's real good. It's funny. But every time I read it, church, it's the same. It's the same. Same parts make me laugh. Same parts make me cry. Yes, I cry in books. It's the only one, but I cry in books. It's, same parts move me in the same ways every time I read it, but it's not so with the Bible. It's been a different experience. I've read through this book multiple times. I've preached through multiple books of the Bible, verse by verse. We're going to start that here in a few weeks. I, um, I've got a doctorate and Bible, and had to study it for years and years and years, and here's what I found, is that every time I read it, every time I study it, I see something new. Every time. Every time I come across a verse that I've read 20 times before, it hits me in a fresh way. Not that it has a fresh new meaning, but it hits me in a fresh new way. And, and God reveals to me things that he's never revealed to me before. It is a living book. It convicts me. It changes me in, in ways it just didn't. Every single time I read it, there's not another book in the world that does that. And that's your story too. But on top of this, think about this. There's another word in that scripture that you may have never thought about before. What does it mean that it's active? I sort of get that it's living, but what does it mean that it's active? Well, that's a Greek word that means effective. In, in other words, when he says it's living and it's active, what that means is that the Bible is a book that has the power to go to work and actually change you. You know, you read a book on dieting and you get motivated and you diet for a few days, but then Thanksgiving hits and you throw down, right? It, it, it changed you for a minute, but it didn't eternally change you. This book is active, which means it's effective, which means God can go to work in your life and change you forever through it. It's the only book that can do that. 
It's the only book in all of creation that has the same power to teach and instruct and convict and change and heal in the year 2020 as it did in the year 220. It's the only book in all of creation that the Lord tarries. It'll be just as relevant in the year 4020 as it was in the year 420. The Bible, if you think about it, the Bible completely changed life. Completely changed lives. The direction of people's lives on the continent of Africa in the first century in the exact same way that it changes lives here in the 21st century in North America. There's not a book in all of creation that can make that claim. Not one. Because the Bible and the Bible alone is living and active. So listen to this quote quickly by Charles Spurgeon. This was written in the 1850s, by the way. Famous pastor. He said, many books in my library are behind and beneath me. They were good in their way once, and so were the clothes I wore when I was 10 years old. But I have outgrown them. He said, but nobody ever outgrows the Scripture. The book widens and it deepens with every one of our years. It is today what it was generations ago. A balm for every wound and a salve for every sore. And I say, Pastor Spurgeon, amen. It's true. It's true. So quickly to review... We'll jump into application here. We believe the authority of Scripture because the Bible says it's our authority. Number two, because we hear it. We hear the voice of our Lord. And number three, it's unlike every other book in creation because it's living and it's active. Okay? Now, I'm going to end the sermon today with two quick points of application, and we'll be done. And these are really simple, really straightforward. Not going to learn anything new, but it's just straightforward. Here's the application. In light of the fact that we believe the authority of Scripture, here's sort of application number one. Here at Sagemont Church, since we believe the authority of God's Word, we're going to preach God's Word. We're going to preach God's Word. And what do I mean by that? Well, the Apostle Paul was describing to the church in Corinth how he preached to them. And I want you to watch what he says, because what he says is critical. And it, it, it fundamentally developed my philosophy of preaching as a young pastor. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. Paul is speaking, and he's talking about how he preached to the church. 1 Corinthians 2, 4, Paul said, And my message and my preaching, watch what he says. He said, My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and power. Paul says, when I came to you and I preached, I didn't come to you with persuasive words of wisdom, but I came to you and I preached to you in a way that there's a demonstration of the Holy Spirit of God in His power. And so what the Scripture is saying, church, is that there's a way that I can preach up here in this pulpit that will not bring forth a demonstration of the Holy Spirit of God in His power. And that's what I'm preaching to you with my wisdom, which is not very wise. And my persuasive words... But the Scripture is saying there is a way that I can preach that will bring forth a demonstration of the Holy Spirit of God and His power, and that is when I am preaching His Word, not my wisdom. There's a difference. My words, guys, my wisdom, my stories, my humor, which is non-existent, my clever illustrations, my thoughtful applications will never change your life. The only guarantee... The only guarantee that my preaching will possess the power of God is when I am preaching the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God. 
It's the only guarantee I have. And so at this church, we're going to preach the Bible. Now, if that were not enough right there, Paul says, look, I didn't come to you with wisdom. I came to you with a demonstration of the Spirit and His power. I'm going to preach His Word. Paul tells us why it's so important that I preach God's Word. And from God's Word, 1 Corinthians 2, 4, read it again. He says, my, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and in power. And then he tells why it's so important. Look at verse 5. He says, I did that so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Did you catch that, what he just said? He said, I didn't come to you with persuasive words of wisdom. I came with you with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith would not rest on a foundation of the wisdom of man, but your faith would rest on a foundation of the, of the power of God. And so that, you got to hear that. That's critical. What that's saying is that your faith is going to rest on one of two foundations. Your faith is going to rest on a foundation of the persuasive words of men, or your faith is going to rest on a foundation of the power of God. And there's an infinite difference between the two. Well, here's why. Because if your faith rests on the foundation of man's persuasive words, then it's entirely possible for some man to come along and use persuasive words to get you to walk away. But if your faith rests on the power of God, then no man can ever come and say anything to you that will ever make you walk away. There's a difference. And so when I preach, and when we preach at this church, we're going to preach the only thing that can guarantee our preaching puts our people's faith on a foundation that cannot be shaken. And that's God's Word. Nope. Thank you. Last thing. I mean, we're done. Last thing. This is super quick, super easy, super straightforward. In light of the fact that We believe the Scripture is our authority. Here's our last point, point number two. Because we believe the authority of God's Word, we're going to obey God's Word. Because we believe the authority of God's Word, we're going to obey God's Word. Church, I don't, I don't, I don't care what's going on in the world out there. I don't care what's going on in the culture. The culture is not our authority. God, His Word is our authority. We're going to obey Him, not the culture. I'll tell you something else. Our government is not our ultimate authority. It's not. It's not. The Lord is our ultimate authority. His Word is our ultimate authority. And we're going to obey the government. We're going to submit to the government until they call us to disobey His Word. And then we're going to obey His Word. Because it is our ultimate authority. And lastly, and most importantly, you are not your own authority. I'm not my own authority. God's your authority. His word is your authority. And so let's be a people that lives underneath that amazing reality. Let's pray together. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to listen to me real, real quickly. We're about to sing a song. It's an old hymn. It says, I have decided to follow Jesus. It's a simple declaration. 
have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. When we sing this church, I don't want you to sing it to the praise team up here. I don't want you to sing it to the screen. I want you to sing it to Jesus. Maybe it's been a long time since you've just closed your eyes and sang to God. I'll give you the chance to do that today. If you mean it, sing it. If you don't mean it, sit down and say, God, change my heart. If you're here today and you've heard the word of the Lord, you've heard his voice through the scripture, I can't think of a better day than today than to give your life to him and say, Jesus, I hear you. I want to follow you. Just in the best way you know how right now, just tell him that. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Make you his child. Father, I thank you for your word, God. I thank you for its clarity. I thank you for its power. I've never experienced anything like it in my whole life. I thank you that it's brought this wayward sheep home a thousand times. God, I thank you that I hear your voice in it. Because when I heard it the first time, I've never been the same. Lord, may we be a church that lives under its authority and your authority. And we ask that today in Jesus' name. Amen.